Welcome back to the Christian Contrast Podcast, where we talk about the ways in which Christ calls us to live differently than the world around us. We're continuing our conversation on purity today, and joining us is uh, the youth pastor here at Life Bible Fellowship Church, Jeff. How you doing, Jeff? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Um, when we get, as we get started, we'd love to hear from you a little bit, your perspective um, of the purity movement of the late 90s, kind of what we talked about last time. How did you experience that? What was that like for you? And uh, was it as much fun as it was for the rest of us? <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm, that's, exactly as much fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it was very much um, lots of at youth group, you know, all of the volunteers were the PDA security guards, you know, making sure that there was no touching, there was no rubbing of shoulders, there was no hand holding. White hugs only. Uh, you know, or safety A at the most, you know, and. <laughs> Um, doing that kind of thing, which I believe was all very well-intentioned and, and probably did hold us accountable in some some really important ways. Um, and then, you know, the dating talks were were all very focused on, um, you know, the, the consequences of too much physical affection and too much time together, which, again, I think probably in some ways really did speak a lot of truth to us and hold us accountable in a lot of really good ways. As I look back on it, um, as we probably can with most most things, there's probably some things like, okay, probably could have worded that a little different or probably didn't need to make us that intimidated or afraid, you know. Um, and then there were the, you know, the different things that they bring in special guests, you know, to to teach a certain lesson and that kind of thing. Yeah, like the person who had a, a heavy sexual past was going to scare you straight about not getting involved in those things. Absolutely. In fact, I was part of an organization um, that had a group called Free Teens, and it was a bunch of high school students who would go to different youth groups and uh, give purity talks and do purity skits which uh, typically ended up in one of the characters um, either getting an STD or pregnant. Um, and there was lots of fear, like, you know, I, I know that I kind of interpreted it many times as like, oh, this will happen if I, you know, cross these lines. And so um, it, it sort of branched beyond biblical purity into fear, like, oh, gosh, this is the way this works and this is what happens. And oh my gosh, you don't want to be that guy, you know? And so, but, uh, but again, and I want to emphasize this, I believe that it was very well-intentioned and, um, and, and did speak to a lot of truth in terms of account, the need for accountability and the doors that you open as you step into situations, you know, with a girlfriend or, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so I think there was also value in it. How do you see that? I guess the question is, is why was that, why do you think that was a focus? So when we say purity movement, you know, we kind of feel like it's this late 90s, early 2000s when it was a heavy emphasis. You know, why was it a heavy emphasis and why is it, why are we past that now? Do we not, is it, do we not care as much or do we communicate it in a different way now with, with students and youth groups and, and uh, you know, what do you think the difference between then and now really is? I'm not sure what the perspective of our parents were or of what church leaders were back then. Maybe it was a thing of what because of movies that were coming out or whatever, kind of felt like purity was being threatened more than it had been. Or I, I I'm not sure. I would that would kind of be an interesting conversation to have, I think, with a pastor who, you know, would now be 
60 or whatever, what their perspective was. But um, I think now as a youth pastor, my desire is much more to have relationships with students, to hear where they're coming from and to hear not, not so I can validate it or I can just like, okay, well, that's what you think. But I want to know what is it that causes you to think what you're thinking? What is it that is causing you to believe what you believe? What? And then I find myself asking lots of questions about like, what, what do you do with this? And, and it might, um, at some point, it is always a, a biblical stance of like, okay, well, the Bible says this, God tells us this, what do you do with that? And I want to hear what they're, they're thinking. And so it's much, uh, the, the approach is less, here's what you need to know, here's what is the threat, and here's the four steps to avoiding that threat. Um, and it's much more relational with um, with students. And it's me. Um, we have a whole staff of volunteers that are their small group leaders. And so we're, we're able to have these conversations a lot and hopefully are speaking biblical truth into these perspectives that students have now. Yeah, and what for you? I'm curious because you're so much on the front lines of this with with younger people. Um, what are some conversations that you feel like you're having that either were not happening with you when you were in, on the other end of it when you were in high school, um, or you feel like I wish this conversation was happening now uh, was happening back then when I was on the other end of this? I think one of the things that influences that for me is I was a church kid. I grew up in church. Um, I, in, in this area, never went through this big rebellion or anything like that. And so I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily wrestling with some of the things that I get asked about now. And some of it is when it comes to, um, sexual purity or, um, gender issues or sexuality, um, sexual identity is why is this such a big deal to God? You know, it, they're not denying that God speaks to it. They're not even saying they don't believe it or, don't want it to be truth. Um, but some of the questions that, that we talk about is why is this a big deal, which goes into um, really important discussions of um, God's design for things, as well as the whole idea of lay down your life, take up your cross and follow. The, are we willing to surrender that? Are we willing to surrender our desires and surrender our points of view and surrender our urges? Um, not because it's you know the Christian thing to do, it's the religious thing to do, but because, man, if I, as, as I want relationship with Christ and I want him to lead my life, it's going to require me to deny myself. It's going to require me in all kinds of areas. And sex For is sure. one of those areas. Am I willing to deny myself? And that is where a lot of our conversations today with students are going is, are you willing to deny yourself when it comes to lying, when it comes to cheating, when it comes to whatever, those urges come so that we don't have to deny ourselves. And so in the area of sexuality um, and sex and, and, all, and gender, um, it, it, I think it's a really important focus, kind of the focus of our culture now is, what are you willing to deny? to lay down um, in your own desires and take up your cross, which is going to be a struggle. Maybe it's going to go against your urges. It's going to go against what you think is reasonable um, and take up your cross and follow Jesus and go, I'm going to follow him. I don't feel like it or think it, I should have to, but I'm going to anyway. I don't, 
I don't think 20 years ago students would have been quite so surprised that God wanted to speak into their their sexuality. You know, I think it was just one of the many things. And I think the culture we live in now, they are a little taken aback. They're like, okay, I get the line and the cheating and being respectful and caring about social justice issues and you know caring for the poor. But why does God care about you know this private area of my life? Do you, do you notice? Have you noticed? just being in youth ministry, being a leader of youth groups, a transition in the past 15, 20 years that that they are specifically that area, they're more reluctant to give that control to God? Well, I think culture is telling them to be reluctant to give that control. Absolutely. Um, culture is saying, don't you judge my preferences. Don't you judge what I want to do. And so culture is screaming at them, this is completely up to you. This is your private area and this is your your something to keep to yourself um, and make your own choice and everyone else is expected to celebrate that choice yeah well, um, and, and you talked about identity which to me does seem like and it's not recent within like the last two years but maybe within the last five to ten years that identity a person's identity has been so closely associated with sexual choices mm-hmm. And that is where you think like, all right, it's one thing to tell me not to take a candy bar from the grocery store. All right, that, that that's not tied into my identity. Whereas my choice is about, you know, who I love and what I do sexually, that the, the message has been that that's very tied in. That's not a part of you. That is who you are mm-hmm. to the point where I remember um, a few years ago, there, there was a, a famous football player who's retired now. And there were uh, rumors going around, you know, is he gay? He hasn't been married. He's never come out and explicitly said something. And I remember reading this article, and the person writing it was writing it as if it's time for him to finally sort of, um, he owes it to us to just tell the truth about this. And to me, it was so mystifying. I was like, why? I don't know what's going on with this guy, but why in the world does he need to come out and tell us about his sexual preferences or sexual inclinations, it seemed like a weird thing. But to the person writing it, it was so intuitive that this is who he is. And if he doesn't just come out with it, he is hiding, denying, pretending. And I think that's part of it that you think with a person today, if the message that they're getting is you either embrace your orientation inclination or you are pretending Mm -hmm. you are acting like you're somebody that you're not really at the core of your being Mm -hmm. and identity you talk about the whole deny yourself that's where we get into that tricky territory where somebody might say like all right I'm not supposed to deny my ethnicity that's not part of denying myself and following Jesus Mm -hmm. not supposed to supposed to deny um that I like cars or don't like it just there are other preferences that we wouldn't say you got to stop that mm-hmm. but with how we're talking about sexuality that's where i think it's a trickier one because it doesn't come across as us just saying there's an activity that you need to stop mm-hmm. but what what many are hearing is there's a part of myself that i'm just supposed to pretend isn't there or that even the desire to do this is wrong before god not that if i would do it it would be wrong but that there's something deeply wrong about me that I even have that gut instinct or that I have that um, desire. Yeah, I, I think that I would imagine even for a Christian struggling with that, um, there's they don't feel like they can share that in the same way they can share if they're struggling with something that's not 
related to their sexuality. Sure. You know, but just because of the culture that we've created as as the church in America, you know, um, they feel like that they'd have to hide that sin, even if they've accepted that it's sin, they need to get through that. I don't think that would come up in the same type of conversation of someone coming up saying that they're having a tough time um, with gossiping or sure. something like that. You know? Still so the acceptable kind of sins that it's okay to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's getting so ingrained um, of sort of the statement like it it defines who right. I am. Right. Um, that now it's in an effort to make sure that no one feels in any way judged, rejected, criticized, whatever. Um, I actually had a conversation with a student who told me, "Yeah, I just tell everybody I'm by because." I'm not, but by telling them that, it lets them know that I'm open to you if you're gay. Right. I'm open to you if you're straight. I'm open to, and so it's it's even causing people out of a fear of living in a way that I don't want you to feel rejected. I don't want you. Which, I mean, we are called to love no matter what, and so sure. that that desire is important, and it's something that God calls us to. But it's bringing at least this person that I was talking to, and I don't think that this is a unique situation, um, to a place where they aren't being truthful with where they're at and where in an effort to make sure that they stay on good terms with all their friends who, who may, you know, go this way or this way, and it's changing their own identity. And Who's being honest, though? How can you even have an honest conversation? Right. Even if you were... You identify it as homosexual or bi, but if you if the whole time you're playing this non-offense game and charade, the students themselves aren't even engaging in actual conversations about their sexual identity mm-hmm. because they don't feel like they can be honest about it. Well, and I'm so thankful when and I've had students come come to me and come out to me, um, and it leads to incredible opportunities of talking to them and where their heart is at. And honestly, and, I, and I'm not sure everybody, I don't know everybody's experience, but some of them are really surprised at my response that I'm caring about them. And I, right. I want to know. Um, and one student, I remember as we, as we were finishing up this conversation, they're like, so I still get to come to youth group? Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, what, whatever caused that to be a doubt in your mind, First of all, thank you for clearing that up or allowing me to clear that up because, oh gosh, yes, <laughs> please. Um, but it does like bring me to a place of just like, how, how can we love people and how can we communicate to people that this is a relationship? And yeah, just as there are things that God calls me to that I may need to deny something about, about an, an urge or a behavior for that sure. I want to engage in um, and you, you have that in your life, the love of God and his desire for relationship, he's going to draw us close and he's going to bring love and healing and wholeness and forgiveness for the ways that we want to stray into our own desires. And Yeah. And I, and I wonder, I mean, cause that's so powerful. And, and I think that that's such an example of what we want to bring yeah. as, as Jesus people to people that something that we have unique to bring because I think maybe not a hundred percent, but if we're looking back on the, the sort of the purity movement that some of us experienced in youth groups, um, one of the criticisms you might be able to level about it was that it's like kids were thinking sex is the most important thing, and youth groups basically said, "You're right, sex is the most important thing," mm-hmm. and so, but you can't do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and now I, I think there still is the sense there's a different level. I felt like many of us at that segment of time still got a sense of my desires are not who I am. And so now the, just the idea, I, I think about this sometimes um, with, with other areas where sometimes um, the terminology we use broadly in our culture, it is it. Our identity is tied up in lots of things. So even if you're talking about people in recovery, that somebody says, I'm an alcoholic, and then you get into a conversation with them, and when was the last time you had a drink? The last time I had a drink was 30 years ago. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm sort of like, all right, I get, I, I understand. The reason that person is saying that is because they don't want to let their guard down. They want to recognize I have this propensity. My life could you know, be shipwrecked at any moment if, if I went back to this. And at the same time, biblically, well, biblically, the word alcoholic wouldn't be used. It would be like a drunkard or something. Biblically, they are not a drunkard. Mm-hmm. Like a drunkard would be somebody who is actively participating in that activity. And so I think even things like that, the fact that we talk about being introverts or extroverts, you know, we talk about the Enneagram, we talk about personality tests, which all, none of that stuff is bad. But I even thought about this with myself because I would always say, well, I'm an introvert. And suddenly I, I came to realize, all right, Introvert is not a biblical category. <laughs> Introvert doesn't let me off the hook in any of the things that God is calling me to do. The idea that I would act like that is a major part of what defines me, lets me off the hook, excuses my sin, that, that's just not a framework. But to be able to say to somebody that would be brave enough to say, I'm a guy who's attracted to guys, or I'm a girl who's attracted to girls, and then to be able to walk through like, all right, w- what does that mean for God's calling for you? Because just as you would look at somebody who, who might still even today say, I'm an alcoholic, that you would say, all right, having a strong propensity or a strong inclination to behave badly with alcohol and then looking to walk in the newness of the life that the Holy Spirit brings for us, that, that's what Jesus calls us to. So walking in the newness and the healing and, and for whatever reasons, whether it's you know, physical, psychological, whatever's led to same-sex attraction, which I think can be, a, it's different in different cases, to be able to say, all right, what does it look like to walk with Jesus in this thing that's a part of your story right now, but is not the defining part of your story. It is not, it is not the end all. And there may even be a season later on in your life where this isn't a defining part of your story because God has brought you to a, a different place with this issue. Mm. Well, and it speaks to a lot of like even our concept of God. I mean, imagine if the only if the only story our dads ever told people when they met somebody is, yeah, this is my son Jeff, and you know, from this age to this age, you know, he was constantly forgetting his chores, and he never did the things that he knew he was supposed to do, and. Uh, and like that's Jeff, and that's yeah, Jeff, that's you know, Jeff. and that, and we can get that idea at your wedding. Yeah, right. He stands up <laughs> to tell, you know, well, hopefully you can turn him around because we sure could. You know, the, and sometimes I, I feel like that is our concept of God in, yeah. in areas of, of sin and struggle and, and maybe some areas where we feel like this is who I am. And God's going, oh, but one, I love you. Two, it, it is not what defines you. Yeah. And I am calling you to life. And I have, I have hope in you. <laughs> even yeah. if you, you know, and just... So that it even touches our concept of God. Yeah, and and what a powerful, again, just thinking, not just for young people, but for all of us, to to have the idea of my identity is grounded in the fact that, number one, I'm an image bearer, which is true of everyone, every every human being, 
Number two, if I'm a believer, I am a child of God, bought by the blood of the Son of God, and dwelt by the Spirit of the living God, forgiven, promised, eternal. You go in all of those things, and then a little bit down the line, and I'm a man, or I'm a woman, and then a little bit further down the line, and I like baseball, or I like this or that, and then mixed into that, way down the line from our core identity are those things like, and these are my sexual inclinations and temptations, and there may be some of them that could be expressed totally healthy within the realm of marriage. There may be some other ones that are like, no, that's actually something that you, you got to deny yourself, as you were talking about, or, or figure out a, a, a way to, to walk with Jesus in the fact that that specific sexual desire is not going to be fulfilled. Um, to say, that's not me saying, well, now I'm just pretending I'm someone else. That, that's me walking in the newness of my identity and recognizing there's a part of myself that wants to do this thing, and I need to say no to that because Jesus has a greater plan for me. And and that's not to diminish that, you know, for somebody that, especially somebody that has same-sex attractions, that is a big hill to climb. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's never something, I, I hope nothing I'm saying is minimizing that. But for me, I, I just I always want to give hope to say, if you're looking at this and saying, if anybody listening to this is looking at this and saying, but that's who I am, to say, man, Scripture has so much of a better message about who you are, mm-hmm. and as you were saying, Jeff, and about who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great segue because um, we want to talk a little bit about how do we begin to talk to our, our children and young people about sexuality and purity, because that com- the reason why it's, I think, it's difficult. Um, one of the reasons it's difficult to talk to children about this is because culture is saying something different. Uh, they are saying that's something to be celebrated, that same-sex attraction. Um, but also, the Christian church, like I said earlier, hasn't done a great job of letting people disclose that. Like, if I disclose this, there's churches who would say, you can't work in children's ministry anymore because you disclosed this sin struggle. You know, possibly that's happened. So how do we dialogue about our children um, in both the with the, the message that the culture is sharing, um, who God has designed them to be, um, and really some of the practical aspects of the importance of of purity, saving yourself for marriage, um, you know, who they are, who their sexual identity is in God, and things like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll share some. I mean, the identity stuff. I was glad you brought it up because it was a big thing on my heart. The identity stuff is is to me one of the unique things of our time. The thing in addition, it, right now, um, as we're recording this, in the church Bible reading plan, we're in Proverbs 3, which means in a couple days we'll be in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, which is a father talking to his son about sexual purity. It's just, it's it's really powerful. And one of the things that strikes me, especially in chapter 5, is that Solomon gives his son different reasons why God's path for purity is going to be the right way to go. And some of them, I mean, this is Proverbs, some of them are intensely practical, um, where he talks about, you know, keep your path far from the immoral woman. He's talk, talking to his son about that temptation. He says, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and you toil, and in your toil enrich the house of another. He's basically saying, you know what? If you're having a lot of sexual dalliances, it's going to end up hitting your reputation and it's going to end up hitting your pocketbook. Mm. So there's even a practical view to this. Um, He says later on, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, you know, not so subtle innuendos going on all over the place here. (laughs) 
Um, he says, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. And I remember that uh, uh, when Karina and I got married, I was a youth pastor. So I'd been a youth pastor for a year. I know some people are like, Dan was a youth pastor. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm not a lifer. <laughs> but um, so I was a youth pastor for a year and the kids all knew us and they knew me and Karina and knew that we were engaged and they were excited for us. And then we got married and, you know, came back. And um, I remember a couple of the, the boys trying to figure out like an appropriate way to ask, like, so how is sex? They were kind of dancing around and, one of the things that I said was I said, you know, sex is really great. But I also said, I wouldn't want to do this with somebody I wasn't married to. I felt like I, it, I was hitting on some of the stuff that Solomon is talking about here to say, this is something special. This is something precious that we'd want to say. One of the reasons why you save sex for marriage is because this is a precious, vulnerable, beautiful thing that you don't want to share just with anyone. Um, later on, some people even think that he may be talking about um, disease and, and the danger of disease. He talks about the whole idea of at your end of your life, you will groan and your flesh and body are spent, which may even be a warning of like, there's physical consequences. Um, and right at the end, he says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. So I just say just that there's a lot more in six and a lot more in seven. Just in chapter five, he's like, God's path is wise because you'll lose money in your reputation. God's path is wise because you'll be becoming inappropriately vulnerable with somebody that you can't trust. God's path is wise because your body may have consequences. God's path is wise because God is watching and your relationship with God is impacted. So I just think, man, how many tools in the toolbox to be able to give our kids at different times of there's, there's this multitude of reasons. It's not just the fear and terror. That is a part of it. But it's not just, oh my gosh, you're going to get a disease. That's one of many things to say, gosh, God is not, you know, there's a reason why Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not because there's there's not difficulties. It's because this really is for our good. Yeah, I've I've got three kids. Um, my oldest is 17. Uh, my, he's, my son is 17. Uh, my daughter is 14. And my other son is 11, um, almost 12. And so... Um, They've all had the talk. Um, and one of the things that in talking with them that I, I really emphasize is that with God, sex was intentional. It was designed intentionally. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that kind of just happened. And he's like, oh, look what the humans decided to do. <laughs> they yeah, discovered this. this. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, it was intentional by God. And so really communicating that intentionality and pointing them biblically to God's intention of sex. And so when you talk about um, talking to our kids about sex, we should absolutely point them to scripture and God's design for sex. Yeah. It can, I am um, a, a lot of people that I've talked to where I've, I've expressed, and maybe it's because I've worked with teenagers for a long time, like, I couldn't wait to have the talk with my kids. I was just like, this is going to be so great. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I've been given sex talks for a decade, you know what? And, um, I would have friends be like, "Oh gosh, well, can you come talk to my son? Can you, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, and just, and I think that a lot of that insecurity, a lot of times, comes from thinking that it just has to come from our own perspectives and our own perceptions of things, and that we've got to think up all the things we need to tell our kids about sex when God is incredibly intentional in addressing how He designed sex, and." The, in contrast to that, our culture in so many areas, 
is presenting sex as recreational. Sex is something that you just kind of do and it just sort of happens and it can happen when you're ready for it to happen. And nothing that we treat as recreational can you also treat, and I think this I think this is a reasonable statement. Can you also treat with extreme passion and intentionality? Let's say golf. There's no way that, you know, Tiger Woods becomes Tiger Woods treating golf recreationally. There's also no chance that Tiger Woods becomes Tiger Woods on accident. Right. Without intentionality, without going, this is important. And this, there are some specific things that I am going to do to bring me to this place. And, and sex is that important and sex is that intentional and so it's going to take intentionality there's going to be all kinds of opportunities to treat it recreationally and treat it like sure i'm in the mood i'm feeling this my hormones whatever i'm of the age or i'm i'm in love enough you know all kinds of opportunities to treat it recreationally but if especially in the beginning if we can raise our kids um when they get to the age of having these discussions um to see the intentionality of it and this is on purpose and when you when you allow god to to do this on purpose intentionally in your life it will be beautiful it will be what god designed it to be and when you don't it will look accidentally it will look like when a buddy calls me up and goes hey you want to go to the driving range sure is there no direction, no real intention? It's just like, oh, I'm going to try and hit it that direction. And our our sex lives can look that way too when we treat them recreationally. When we look at it and just be like, mm. but again, I want to say like we can point it back to scripture. We don't have Absolutely. to do this. So like parents listening to this, it's like you're not just on your own. It's not like you've got to figure out what's the most moral way to present sex to your kids. Um, God has lots to say about it. And it's not just rules. It's painting a picture of how beautiful this is because it's intentional. Yeah, I think I think in a lot of ways, there's, there's fear and trepidation from parents that it's this special and difficult to navigate conversation. Um, but it's, it's, like I said, it's kind of just one of many ways that God desires us to live. And there's plenty of scripture on it, just like there's scripture on, on how to love others or how to be truthful and honest and... Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you dig into that, lean on the word, lean on God's design for it, that the conversation um, isn't necessarily something to fear. Mm-hmm. It's it's just something to to be willing to enter that in honestly and point back to God. And and as, a, as an adult, answer the questions, hopefully your kids might have, honestly from what your experience was and, and the things that you struggled with or enjoyed and, and had to learn from. And they're going to draw a lot from our reactions and our responses to their questions and to their curiosities. And so if we respond, and I know this is tough. I, I don't want to say this in a way that's just like, so just do this. But if if they ask a question and our response is embarrassment, if our response is careless, if our response is don't bother me, yeah, they were panicked, sort of like stress. Yeah. Oh, well, I... It, they will glean from that and that will help shape their view of sex. And so they will view, you know, oh yeah, when I brought that up to my dad, he made me feel like that was naughty. Like I, I, man, get your mind out of the gutter, gutter kid, you know, and, and, or if we, but if we can respond 
confidently. And again, not that we know it all, not that we've experienced it all, not that we have the final word in it, but to, like you said, answer truthfully, sit down and have discussions and and be willing to be honest and be appropriately graphic. You know, and that that's going to have to do with each kid. Not every kid is the same. Not all three of my kids were were the same presentation. You know, we didn't sit down and watch a slideshow of, you know, with the same points and the Yeah. Um and so knowing your kid and knowing and and at different ages. It's not, you know, when I talked with my uh, with my kids initially I didn't tell them every single yeah. thing because yeah, there wasn't just one talk there was yeah yeah, yeah. incremental to and I think it's good even what you were saying about being willing to be appropriately graphic mm-hmm. or specific I think sometimes like for me I, I I joke that you know my my dad had the sex talk with me you know one sex I got one I was like 13 so that was pretty late mm-hmm. um you know, my friends had been making jokes and comments for years that I pretended that I understood that I didn't. So it was one of those where I was like, I wish for my sake, I knew just the facts. And I think sometimes it's like, this is, this is a tender, sometimes kind of embarrassing subject. But if like, if we're willing to use words like penis and vagina and Mm -hmm. just talk about anatomy and talk Mm -hmm. through, and it's, it's kind of like this and this sort of thing will happen. Mm -hmm. Cause, cause I agree the, the first, the initial talk that we had uh, with with our two oldest, cause our our youngest hasn't had the initial talk yet. um, We're, we tried to make it very factual Mm -hmm. and to say, we want you to understand this factually. And then from there to open up to the bigger picture, to talk about scripture um, and I just think it, it, you alluded to this, but in scripture, I think we get, we get many things, but we get at least two things. And one is the idea that sex is very good. Even in that Proverbs passage, the whole idea of drink water from your own cistern, he's talking about marriage and the joy of sex mm-hmm. in marriage. So it's, it's very good. Um, and there's also a lot of warnings associated mm-hmm. with it. And so if we're able to, to run on those two rails to present, and, and if we're, for those of us that, that are blessed to be in, in, in relatively healthy, stable marriages. We get the chance to model the masculinity and the femininity and the partnership of marriage and all of that to say, this is very good. And man, there's also lots of warnings because really good things used in wrong context cause a lot of chaos. Yeah. And for anybody who may be like listening and screaming at the computer going, (laughs) answer this. um, (laughs) Like, when should I have the talk? When, so you, you know, Jeff and Dan have alluded to it. When did you? My kids were 10. And it, it's not a magic number. Um, it was probably pretty intentional with my oldest. Like, okay, he's 10 years old. Um, I think one of the big determining factors was it was that year in school that he was going to have family life. That traumatic experience we all had where our teacher talked about sex or, or at least talked about anatomy, right? And so we knew that was coming and I'm like, I want him to hear it from me first. So there For was sure. a kind of a clock on that in terms of of that. But like I said, not everything was in that first in that first conversation. But um, we started talking about what sex was, like Dan, you were explaining, you know, sort of the physicality of it and the mechanics of it and how it works. Um, certainly the biblical aspect of it and wh- how God designed it and what God's intention for it was. And something that kind of surprised me was some of the questions that he had, and then with our other kids, when we when we talked about it with them, similar kinds of things. Um, we're we're careful with what movies we watch at our house, and so it's not like they have 
They've been watching things that drove these questions. The things that drove a lot of their questions was the news where um, one of my kids, when we were talking, he's like, okay, I got it. Dad, what's rape? And I was a little surprised, like, oh, why are you asking that? What I, you know, and he goes, oh, well, just on the news, it talked about a guy was arrested for rape and it seemed like it had something to do with sex. So we talked about rape um, with one of my other kids. They said, so what, what does gay mean? What does, and so their questions and our willingness and ability to address those things is important and, and a lot. And so that can help gauge, all right, how much are we talking about right now? Because one of the things that, I think really impacts a kid's view of sex is, is their questions being answered? And so I think that it is wise if your kids are asking questions, you can control how graphic you get with it, but that we don't just keep, you know, uh, um, I don't worry about it. You know what they're, they're worrying about. And if they're coming to you, Oh, that's awesome. So great. Because they're going to go to, you know, Tim on the playground right. and Tim's going to give his version, which he, their parents may not be as careful of what they watch. And so to, if your kids are asking questions so great, oh, praise embrace God. that yeah. and, and, and look at that as an opportunity, not as a, oh gosh, I better go. And, and I'll say this as a, as a youth pastor, man, you talking about it as a parent is important because they will come to me and hopefully know reasonably i and you know what i'm going to tell them is going to be biblical and it's going to be you know honest and forthright having your youth pastor talk to you about sex is different than having your parents talk to you about it and so parents you are going to create an atmosphere in your home based on your willingness to talk about sex and so it shouldn't be a thing of like ah go to church let let jeff talk to you about it i will and i'm not going to be embarrassed about it um but it coming from the parents is going to set a tone in your home. Yeah, nothing replaces that. Nothing does. Yeah. And in a similar way, again, the way we handle it. If you're if in your house sex is vulgar, uh, like you you in in the way that you joke about it, if it's obscene, if it's used in a if it's um, shaming, um, those are going to be things that shape a young person's idea of what sex is, and and will shape what they're willing to bring up. And what they're willing to to ask questions about, um, based on how parents handle it, um, and I've seen lots of different shapes of that over the years in talking with teens as well. Like, wow, that's an interesting perspective. I, wh- where did you hear that? Oh, well, my my dad's always talking like you know what. And so, as parents, we make an impact. Definitely, for sure, for sure. So much good stuff. I just want to thank you guys both. For being open and honest about uh, this topic. I think it's really important. I think the more conversations that we have about it, the more we make it normal and easier for us to all talk about it, easier for parents to to ask their pastors for advice about it, easier for people in life groups to share struggles and prayer requests revolving around this topic. So I think it's really important. I want to thank uh, whoever's listening. Uh, Thanks for listening. And and you can join in on this conversation at the LBF uh, Church Facebook group. And... um, Feel free to uh, to dialogue about it, even if it's uh, can be uncomfortable at first. I think it's important. And as always, uh, we'll just we'll see you around on Sunday.